We continue on a series, Walking Worthy of the Lord. And our text scripture is Colossians 1, 9-13. And it reads, For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will, in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might, according to his glorious power, unto all patience and long-suffering with joyfulness, giving thanks unto the Father, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life, who have delivered us from the power of darkness and have translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Praise the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we thank you, praise you, Lord, for the opportunity to partake of your word. We thank you, Father, for the earlier privilege of coming before you in praise and worship and commemorating your sacrifice by partaking in communion. We cannot thank you enough for all the things you're doing for us. And even now, as you provide us manna from heaven through your word, we praise you, Father, that it would nourish us, that it would strengthen us, that it would motivate us, empower us, and guide us, that not only would it bless us in terms of things that we're dealing with right now, but also as other circumstances present themselves, it would come back to our remembrance, and it would give us wisdom to speak into the lives of others who may be going through trials and tribulations. We praise and thank you, Father, for these things, and give you glory and honor to your name, in Jesus' precious name we pray, amen. amen. Hallelujah. All right, so we're talking about walking worthy of the Lord. And one of the things we saw in our first week is that God's desire is that we might be filled with the knowledge of his will. And as I said earlier, that word filled means to be crammed or completely furnished. And I compare that to the situation in which we went to uh, let's say an ice cream parlor and they allow us to fill a cup with ice cream and they told you it was totally free. I guarantee you everybody in here would not just take a couple of scoops off the top like a little, little light scoop. I mean you would dig deep, put that in the bowl and then once you got it in the bowl you know oh, there's a little room on that side so you get another scoop in. That scoop will probably be bigger than you can even get in there, but you try to find your way to work it in there. And you will push it and push it and press it down until every nook and cranny of that thing was filled. As a matter of fact, most people will fill it to the point that when you had to put the top on it, and say you couldn't eat it right then, you had to put it in a container and carry it home, you'd probably be sitting there like, oh, I'm trying to put the cover on top of this thing, but I'm going to work this thing down there somehow. Amen? Because you're going to cram it. Because it's free. But why is it that God says, I'm pouring out my wisdom, my insight, my anointing, my power, my healing, my deliverance, my love, my compassion, my strength, all these different things. God says, that's also free. And we don't even show up at the delicatessen or the party. And God said, wait, wait. My people are walking around empty. Lacking this. Lacking that. Questioning this and that. Voids in their hearts and their minds and confusion. And God's saying, I try to cram everything I can into you, and yet you don't even show up at the counter to get a scoop, let alone 
cram you. Amen? Amen? God wants to cram you full of not only the essence of his characteristics, amen, but also the knowledge of his will and everything that you need to walk the abundant life that he's made available for us. But we got to stand in line. <laughs> and sometimes God may be making you wait a little in line, amen? You ever been in line at a store, especially you go to the store today, the line's going to be long. And a lot of times people get impatient, like, oh, this place is Take you too long, I'm going somewhere else. Then you go somewhere else, the line is just bad. Well, God says, hey, I can give it to you instantaneously, but sometimes you're going to have to stand in line a little bit and be patient because I want to see how much you're hungry for. Amen? God wants to cram you full of stuff, but you got to stand in line and you got to want it. you got to hunger for it. Amen? And you got to realize the same way that ice cream is very sweet to the taste. The Word of God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. You realize that God is tasting? If he's tasting, why are you not running to get in line to get another bite? Amen? <coughs> I'll leave. I'm not even trying to serve him, shit. I'll just give you what the Lord's given. So why are we not chasing after God to get the fullness of what he wants to cram into us? God wants you to be satiated, totally satisfied. He wants you to be filled to the brink. With the essence of who he is, and his strength, and his anointing, and his power. But we're not taking advantage of it. And the thing is, some of us have been prone during Thanksgiving and Christmas to stuff ourselves with food. To stuff and stuff and stuff ourselves with multiple plates. Get the turkey and the gravy and the cranberries and the mashed potatoes with gravy and the green bean casserole and the sweet potatoes and all that other stuff. And we cram ourselves and then we get the ice. Oh, oh, oh my God, my stomach hurts. Oh, I feel like my stomach's going to burst. I'm going to die here from eating. And then God comes to us and says, I want to fill you, the overflowing, with the essence of me. And we're walking around skeletal, skeletal, we were anorexics and bulimics. And the thing is, God be praying with all he is. You don't gain the house for you. He gives you his fullness. And it's sweet, but there's no calories. No high blood pressure when you get all God. No diabetes because you got too much sugar in your system. You can taste and see and eat all the riches of God, everything he has for you, and yet be totally healthy. So the shop right has lines, every line, every aisle is packed. Every line, whether it's 25 items or more, or 10 or less, is crammed to the brink. And yet in God's supermarket, oh, what about showing up at the store today? The shelves are full. Why is anybody here? Last storm I went to the shop, right? I just wanted to get a case of water. They couldn't fill the shelves quick enough. Because everybody was stashing up the water. Snatching up the bread, snatching up everything, desperate to make sure that they were satiated from a natural storm, and yet God's cupboards are totally full, and people aren't even trying to drain the reserves. I mean, we can never exhaust what God has developed for us, but we at least fill the aisles trying to grab all, all the goodness of God. So we put a priority on feeding our flesh, but why aren't we running to get in line? 
with God. And here's the thing. People get desperate and go after the earthly things when they see there's a storm on the horizon, as Pam said. But with God, we can go get it during the storm. And we can go get it when there is no storm. His supermarket, his nourishment, his presence is always there and inexhaustible. But yet, we only want it in a crisis. And sometimes, even then, we don't get it. But God wants to cram you and completely furnish you with everything you need to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And not only to have knowledge, but to have wisdom on how to apply the spiritual understanding he gives you. The world says knowledge is power, but knowledge can also kill you when it's misapplied. See, I, can know, I know how to pick up a gun and shoot it. That's knowledge. But the, the knowledge on how, the wisdom on how and when to use that gun is a whole different thing. A child can pick up a gun, kill their sibling, their parent. See, they have knowledge, even as a child, to pick the thing up and pull the trigger. But the wisdom that you don't play with guns is a whole different thing. So God has knowledge available for us. But do we have the wisdom on how to apply it? When is it, when is it relevant? When is it in its proper context? God wants to not only give you knowledge, but also the understanding on how to apply it. And he's talking about here spiritual understanding. Spiritual understanding is non-carnal. In other words, as you're perceiving and interacting with different circumstances, you're not doing it according to your flesh and your emotions, but instead you're doing it according to the perceptions of God who sees beyond the stuff that you're dealing with on the surface. It's non-carnal. It's non-bestial. It's not animalistic, in other words. And it's not demonically influenced. God wants to cram you full of all those things. So over the last couple of weeks, we looked at being filled with the knowledge of His will, walking worthy of the Lord, being fruitful in every work. Last week, we looked at increasing in the knowledge of God. And then we need to study to show ourselves approved. And we talked about, in closing, being strengthened with all right. And now we're going to continue on. We're talking about it talks about us having unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That's where we're going to start today. Unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. That's a hard part, amen? When you're suffering, first of all, it's hard to be patient. And even more so, you've got the nerve to ask me to be joyful about it when I'm going through trials and tribulations. Seriously, God? I mean, can I get a dream pass on this one to be slightly miserable, despondent? <laughs> can I have a moment, God? I got a smile for this too. I mean, go on, Lord. <laughs> but it tells us here, unto all patience and long suffering with joyfulness. And I think that's the key part. We go through trials and tribulations from time to time. I think one of the reasons we stay in the tribulation a lot of times because God says, I'm not going to manifest the breakthroughs, the deliverance, the healing, and other things you need until the with joyfulness comes into play. Amen? God wants us to see joyfulness. And that's not saying that we shouldn't have earthly or emotional 
grief or be upset about something, be angered. I mean, these things are going to occur. But once all things are said and done and played out your emotions, you still need to get back to the place of, despite all the stuff that's going on, God, I have joyfulness. Because I'm going to be content right now I'm going to deal with, I'm going to be content in the future of where you're taking me, knowing that your hand is in my circumstances. Let's look at something in regard to having patience and long-suffering with joyfulness from the book of Deuteronomy. We're going to look at Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 48. Because thou servest not the Lord thy God with joyfulness and with gladness of heart, for the abundance of all things. Therefore shalt thou serve thy enemies, which the Lord shall send against thee, in hunger, and in thirst, and in nakedness, and in want of all things. And he shall put a yoke of iron upon thy neck, until he hath destroyed thee. Ouch. <laughs> he says, hey, because you have not served me with joyfulness, here's some of the things that can happen to you. You'll be in hunger. You'll thirst for things. Instead of being fully clothed, you may experience nakedness. There might be a lot of things that you desire that you will want and want and want. And why does it say these same things happen? Including having a yoke of iron, in other words, oppression or bondage on your neck. He said the reason that these things will occur is because you did not serve me with a mindset or attitude of joyfulness. So we may think, oh, joyfulness is optional. If I feel like praising God and being happy, I will. If I don't feel like being happy and praising God, well, do I want it? I'm going to be what I'm going to be. I want to be miserable, I'm going to be miserable. I want to sulk, I'm going to sulk. I want to be despondent or angry, I'm going to be despondent and angry. And God can't make me change my attitude. Okay, He doesn't have to make you change your attitude, but the consequences of not being joyful may still land on your plate. Because you did not serve me with joyfulness, you're going to lack stuff, you're going to be hungry, you're going to be thirsty, your enemies, which I may have um, disbanded or chased off, they might get sent against you and be allowed to attack you. Instead of you being free and liberated, you might have a yoke of bondage or oppression on your neck. These are the sort of things you may have because you refuse to honor our word, which says to have a spirit of joyfulness about what you're going through. And we've all been there. Amen. I'm not going to say I'm exempt and in every trial and tribulation I went through, I was as old happy go lucky. No, that's not even realistic. We're human beings, we have feelings, we have emotions. You're going to have times where you have bad days and things hurt you. Amen. We've all been there. But once again, how are you going to stay here? Amen. You know, this problem happened. Well, we're three weeks later. Are you still hurt wounded? I mean, some point you need to go to the presence of the Lord and do something about it. Murmuring and complaining is not going to alleviate the hurt. Talking behind God's back to other people about it. He ain't blessed me yet. I've been praying like crazy. He ain't done nothing. Well, last time I checked, that's really promoting a false gospel. Mm -hmm. Think about it. It's bad enough for you to say, God has not done. But then you go and get to the ear of somebody else. God ain't done this for me. You're promoting a, 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 a gospel of disbelief. That person could be sitting there, totally trusting God, maybe loving you spiritually. They may have their own stuff they're going through. They might be looking for a word for somebody to comfort them about something unspoken you don't even know about. 
And do we go for them, make their life more visible, crush any hope they have? I've been praying for months and God ain't done. But a little bit of the hope they may have been hanging on to. Thanks. You just sunk my battleship. So we don't know the impact of the stuff we're saying. It's so much more powerful and productive that despite the fact that we're going through and God hasn't gone, hasn't given us what we desire yet, we go to somebody else and say, hey, you know, let's pray together about this. I know you've been praying for something. Or maybe, hey, you got anything you need to pray about? Let's pray, because you know, I got something that's been weighing me for a while. I've been praying and believing God. It hasn't been removed from my life, or, or uh, God doesn't, hasn't seemed to, to answer yet. But hey, can you pray for me? And do you have anything to pray about too? See, that is so much more productive than God. And see, even if you have a little bit of unbelief, God bless you in that and loves We see that in the Word of God. Man comes to Jesus. Oh, my son. He's being attacked. A demon just tossed himself into the fire. And people have been praying. I've gone to doctors. Nothing works. Jesus is like, well, do you believe I can help He said, Lord, I believe. Lord, I will allow you. You know, I've heard about you. I've heard all the signs, miracles, wonders you've done. I'm coming to you. I'm just going to be honest, Lord. You may not want to bless me. But I believe in you. But there is this part of me that I still don't know if you can come through. What did Jesus say to that? Just because you said, Lord, I believe, help me with my unbelief, Jesus said, I'll take a little bit you have, and I'm going to deliver your child. Amen? Amen. So that's the thing. God just wants us to doubt. As I understood, just said, keep it real. Amen? Keep it real. So you can have. That shows you. Jesus is a higher priest that is so in tune with us, so compassionate, that even in the times that we totally don't trust him, if we're honest enough to say, you know what, I'm not even quite sure of you on this one. I'm trying to trust, but I got this little tidbit of unbelief. Jesus said, okay, just because you confess that, I'll honor your prayers. I'll give you a break from anyway. Amen? Amen? See, it's when you have that unbelief and you say one thing, I trust you, God, and then you go around and complain. To somebody else, or even in your own heart and mind. Amen? Those are the times in which he says, I can't honor you, because you are salting the enemy's kingdom with unbelief and false professions. God cannot honor that. How can God honor your prayers when you're saying stuff that's born out of lack of faith? God's not going to do it. What? How in the world does God respond to that with a blessing? Amen? When you have put ungodly seeds into the ground. Speak those things which be, it's not as though they were. Amen? Speak. And we did a whole series on that about the manifestation of God's promises coming. And sometimes those things come in a certain time and season. Amen? And it's critical for us not only to believe but to continue to profess. And even in times when you're dealing with stuff that you, science and medicine tell you it cannot be, Sometimes you just got to get totally stupid. I know all the odds are stacked against me. Medical science is against me. Um, physics against me. Politics against me. The economy against me. But everybody in the world can think I'm crazy. I am still confessing Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. There's one woman in my church that was at um, Lighthouse uh, Tabernacle Assembly of God. 
Sister Crusader, she's one of those saints, just like, bam, 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 praise God, praise God, praise God. You know, Sister Mary, Minister Hunt was like that. Profession of God, 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 before God. Sometimes people think they want to be stuff, but the profession of God. <laughs> I mean, you can be, sometimes we are stubborn in things we should not be stubborn in. And sometimes we need to be stubborn in the things of God and refuse to accept anything less than God, 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 and God will do for an answer. See, that's what the Shunammite woman did. You know, she didn't sit there and look at the natural. My son is dead. No pulse, no heartbeat, no breathing. He's gone. Every time it came to her, it is well, it is well, it is well. See, she allowed herself to get to a place where what my natural mind, my grieving heart, and my senses of seeing him laying there dormant, she got to a place where it doesn't matter what my natural mind, heart, and, and, and five senses see. I can only go by what the Spirit of God has placed in front of me. Amen? Amen. She had a revelation of God and his power, what he could do. She had a revelation of a resurrecting God, even before Jesus, the resurrection came. Amen? Amen? Think about that. She was not a temple of the Holy Ghost as we are, with, with the Holy Spirit inside of us. Amen? She did not have that. And yet, she still had enough faith to keep professing. That woman had more revelation than most of us have. Amen? And we see because of her stubbornness, <coughs> and we see because of her stubbornness, God gave her the desire of her heart. Amen? Look at the mother with the unjust judge. Once again, a woman that did not have the Holy Spirit inside her. Avenge me, my adversary! Avenge me! The judge said, I don't care about God or man. He said, I don't care about your God. I hate the cross. Who's he to admit? Get out of here, woman. <laughs> but guess what? He didn't believe in her God. He didn't care about men, but he cared about a woman that needed no rest. She was determined and stubborn, and she would not relent until finally she got what she wanted. So what we're seeing here is talking about for us to have a spirit of joyfulness. We have to have a spiritual stubbornness that despite what is going on and what we're seeing, we stick to it and say, not only am I going to continue to profess the power of God and his deliverance, but because I'm determined to see God come through, why should I stay in the miserable zone? I'm going to move into the land of being joyful because I know he's going to come through. Amen? See, that's what allows you to get to the place of joyfulness. And we see here, God's word is true as we know from cover to cover. We cannot say because Jesus came in the New Testament and we have all these New Testament blessings. We cannot go back to the Old Testament and say, okay, Cut that part off is no longer true. The whole word is, is true from cover to cover. And that's the case. And God put in Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that we do not serve him with joyfulness. These things can occur. We still have to believe that the consequences of walking around miserable, displeased, despondent comes with the consequences of the things that we see in this passage of Scripture. A yoke around your neck. In hunger. In lack. Having your enemies attack you, being naked, amen, when God wants to do all the different things. God may not get you to the point until the enemies have literally destroyed you, but your reluctance to be thankful and diligent in serving him could lead to you lacking 
in the very things that you desire for them. Hallelujah. Let's go over to Proverbs. <clears throat> Proverbs 24, verses 10 through 14. That seems like the NIV translation on this one. If you falter in a time of trouble, how small is your strength? Rescue those being led away to death. Hold back those staggering towards slaughter. If you say, but we knew nothing about this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who guards your life know it? Will he not repay everyone according to what they have done? Eat honey, my son, for it is good. Honey from the comb is sweet to your taste. Know also that wisdom is like honey for, for you. If you find it, there is a future hope for you, and your hope will not be cut off. So early on I talked about things being sweet, you know, taste and see that the Lord is good. We see here that if we falter or faint in the time of trouble, God's basically looking at us saying, your strength is, is very small. That word faint or falter means to slacken your pace, to become slothful, to draw back, to become idle, or to cease what you're doing. Once again, it means to slacken your pace, to become slothful or lazy, to draw back or retreat, to become idle or to cease. So God says your strength is small if you allow your circumstances to cause you to run at 50% or 75% instead of remaining diligent and giving God 100%. And one of the things we see here too is that we can't look at circumstances and say, oh, I just sit back and I don't have anything to say or do and let people do what they want when I have an opportunity to bless them with the wisdom God has provided me. He's telling us here that, you know, we should have the mindset, the attitude that we're willing to share the wisdom that God gave us and we, we need to abide by it during our own personal times of trouble. And one of the words you see here that's key, it says to eat honey. And then it refers to our wisdom being like honey. The word honey means to be gummy, sweet and sticky like syrup. In other words, wisdom from the Lord should stick to you in times of trouble. And just think about that. The wisdom should stick to you. You ever have um, times where something keeps falling and you eventually mount it? A perfect example is um, we had something in our house, this device that was supposed to hang on the wall, and it came loose and it, it, it started hanging. And I took one thing and tried to stick it back up, and it stuck about a day or two, and then it dropped again, and then um, as far as over my house doing something, and he gave me stuff that they used, and I stuck it into the vice, and I stuck it on the wall. That thing's been stuck in the right place ever since. Because the stuff he gave me was real sticky, it was extra gummy. Gummy to the point where even with the paint on the wall, it would stick there and it would stay in place. Amen? And be in a position where it's supposed to be. So God's basically saying his wisdom should stick to you the same way. Should be reading the word and hearing the wisdom of God, and it goes in one ear and out the other. Nor should you be reading a scripture and you know you read it one minute and five minutes later, like, what did I just read or study? 
No, because take the time to digest, to meditate upon, to read and study the Word. It should stick to you so that whether you need it right now or later, when the time of need is at hand, you don't have to say, where's the Word of again? It's that, oh, oh, it's right here. It's stuck to me. It's stuck in my heart. It's stuck to my side. It's stuck to my feet so I know how to walk properly. It's stuck to my ears because I'm not going to hear the stuff that the world says. I'm going to hear what the Spirit of the Lord says to me. Amen. Amen. See, the wisdom of God needs to stick to you. That's the problem with a lot of believers. All astray and go here and go there and toss to and fro. Stuff's not sticking to them. Sometimes it's because it's not being taught properly. Sometimes it's because they're not in the right to get the proper stuff. And sometimes it's because they have itching ears and they want to run out and get what they want to give them a green light to do their own bid. Amen? But if you're in a place where you're really trying to grow and prosper in God, you have to have a desire that you not only pursue the Word, but when the opportunity is there to get it, you don't just let it fall on bad ground, stony ground, or Thorny ground, but you take that word in and you absorb it, so it's now a part of you. Amen? Okay. That's why when I was on the radio, I used James 121. It talks about, you know, the, the engrafted word is able to save your souls. And that word, engrafted, means surgically implanted. The word should be in you so richly buried into you that even if it's not seen and evident on the outward, it's so embedded inside of you that it sustains your life. It's just like a pacemaker. Somebody walking around with a pacemaker, you don't know they have a pacemaker. But it doesn't take away the fact that that pacemaker is regulating their heartbeat and sustaining their life. The Word of God should be the same way. It's just so much in the core of you, stuck inside of you, embedded into the, the, the essence of who you are, that even if people wanted to, they could not separate the word of God from you. Amen? Amen. I'll leave. Thank you, Jesus. I can't remember. I did a series before. I can't remember the name of the series. But some of you probably recall, I had Trey help me on this. I did a picture where, I did, took a picture of me, and Trey went to Photoshop and merged a cross. So it was like, you see me with the cross overlaying it. It's like the two of us became one in the image. Y'all remember that? That's how the word of God should be. Amen? That everywhere you go, it's on you, it's in you, it's surrounding you, it's covering you, it's protecting you, it's guiding you, it's strengthening you, it's powering you. Amen? The word of God should be such a part of you that if they try to take it out, it'd be like they took your heart out of your body. You can't take the word from me without killing it. You can't take the Holy Spirit out of me without my life ceasing to exist. The Word of God and I are one, just as Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Amen? Amen. If the Word is true, in Him I live and move and have my being, how can you exist without How can you exist? <laughs> it should be the same as your natural organs. If somebody, like I said, if a surgeon came in, Cut me over. I don't care what kind of anesthesia he has to take away the pain. If he comes in with a scalpel, opens my chest up, takes my heart out, and they don't put me on something to sustain me to its place back in there, I don't care what that doctor does. 
I won't die. Because I cannot live without my heart. It should be the same thing with the Word of God and the Spirit of God. I cannot live without them. Amen? So that the, the, the wisdom, the principles of God stay with you everywhere you go. It's a shameful thing that at the time of crisis, people were trying to find, where's God? Where's the person I go to for prayer? Where's the person who encouraged me when I'm going to trials tribulations? No. Those things are all good. But you should not need a man when the creator of the universe is at your disposal all the time. And the word of God that can be planted in your heart, mind, and spirit can be present at every time. So I'm not taking away service of God being at your disposal. I just shared how we went to the hospital Friday night. And we prayed and, and we, we prayed for the family and we encouraged them. But the ones that were more mature, Lord, before we got there, they had been praying. And they liked the fact that they had joint company to join in with them in prayer. But the fact is, they had God themselves present in their hearts and in their attitude. That's why when we went there, I've been times where I've gone in the hospital, it's like the spirit of death is whatever. You can, you can grab it with your hand. The depression, the fear, and the sickness in that room. And I've also been in rooms where the spirit of God has been in there for people that are strong sense of the Lord praying at their seat. The atmosphere is totally different. Yeah. Amen? If you've ever been in both types of rooms, you can sense it. You walk in there, oh, ooh, Spirit of death up in here. Sickness and fear. But you go to a place where the spirit of God has been there for the saints. There's a Roman that live or die. That's God's decision. It's in his hands. But we're going to praise him all the way through. And either, either way it goes, life or death, if it's life, pray to God for the miracle. If it's death, precious to God is the death of the saints. He done took them all home. See, there's no depression of fear. Because the spirit of God is sticking to the atmosphere and into the, in the hearts of his people. So God wants us to have that mindset. The word of God should stick to you. The wisdom of God should be sticky and gummy. <laughs> you ever had time you, uh, I remember one time, um, it was so, so hot. Oh, goodness. This one summer day. It wasn't, I don't think it was this last time, I think it was the previous one. And Pam was coming from home from the airport and she had a flat tire. And she ended up pulling over into a Wawa on the Black Horse Pike 168. So I jumped my car, I drive there. It was so hot that once I got there, I told her to stay in the air conditioning in the Wawa while I changed the tire. It was so hot that as I walked on the ground, it, I was sinking in and it was sticking to my shoe a little bit. I'm talking about this is a pain asphalt lot. It was so hot that I could actually push down into it with my weight walking across it. And when I tried to put down the, uh, the jack to put the car off, it started sinking in and it would actually collapse under it because the ground was thin. Amen? But the ground was hot and it was kind of like gummy and sticky even to your shoe. God wants his word to be like that. Amen? Sticking to you. Sticking to you. You know, to the point where if you try to dislodge it, uh, <laughs> you ever reach down ah, gummy. You get sickness on your hand and even as you're pulling away, it starts stretching. <laughs> well, in God's case, he wants you to stick, but he doesn't want you to have an attitude. Oh, 
In a similar fashion, regardless of our financial status, we are all rich as well. That is our destiny. Your destiny is that we are all filthy rich, according to the world system. And that may not be in our bank accounts, we may never see that occur in our bank accounts, but the reality is you are all rich because we are, we are heirs of the kingdom of God. Guaranteed eternal blessings. Guaranteed stuff that this world has never seen. Amen? The richest things that this world has seen pale in comparison to the things that are in heavenly places that God has guaranteed each one of us. So praise God for that. Amen? That we are heirs to his promises. The thing is, we have to be careful of is that we do not squander the time we have here and squander the things that God has allotted to us right now. Because we may not have financial riches, but we have a lot of spiritual riches that He's already bestowed upon us. What are we doing with the inheritance that God has given us? Amen? Are we thankful for it? Or are we going around on a daily basis? Oh, I only wish I had this. Things would be better if I had that. Why not this? Why not that? What is our mindset regarding our current life status and condition? Are we thankful to God? Are we going around saying, oh, why well, only thank God if I had this, or if I had that, or when I get this, or when I get that, then I'll be thankful to God for all his blessings. We should be thanking God right now. Amen. Amen. Right now. It should not have any basis on our bank accounts, on our job situation, on, on our physical health. We should have a mindset of thankfulness right now. I shared to you earlier today. We have somebody who's to be one of our members here that's laying on a ventilator right now. Amen? Don't know yet whether she's going to live or die. Amen? We should be thankful. We, one of us can be in that situation right now. Like I said, our situations always can be worse. Amen? And they are. So we have something to be thankful of. And just, like I said, thankful that God deems us worthy enough to receive his inheritance. Nothing we had to do, nothing about our status at birth, nothing about where we live now. We are worthy and accepted in the beloved just because of who he is, his love and sacrifice for you and I. That alone gives us the blessings and the inheritance. Colossians 3, 12 through 17 says, Put on therefore as the elect of God, holy beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by Him. Praise the Lord. So we see here the things that God tells us to put on. Amen. A mindset of, of kindness and humility, meekness, long-suffering or patience. We should forbear with one another. In other words, we need to be tolerant of other people. That's, that's a hard thing sometimes. 
And so people didn't push our buttons and, quite frankly, get on our last nerve. But God tells us that we should have tolerance and patience with them. After all, he had tolerance and patience for us. Most of us, I know me, I can be a piece of work. God has to put a wheel on a daily basis, so I can be, you know, gracious enough to have other people. Thank God, amen, that just thinking about the characteristics that make up me, I can say, you know what, ooh, you got to deal with that? Okay. <laughs> I can be a little kinder, gentler, and tolerant of other people. And we see here it talks about having bowels of mercy. That word bowels means inward affection, the tender mercy. Inward affection, tender mercy. In other words, we don't have to make up being merciful to people. We don't have to try to summon up kindness. In other words, your journey and transition with God, your process of maturing and growing in God should be such that when mercy needs to be granted by you, it's something you don't have to fight to, to distribute or impart to somebody. It should be so much a part of you that it just starts to flow on its own. You don't have to look for it. You don't have to pray, oh, God, give me mercy for that person. It should be something that is just a part of your character that's continually growing and growing in so that you don't have to work too hard to summon it up when it's necessary. Because if you think about it, that's really the character that Christ exhibited when he was here on the earth. He had tender mercies for people, no matter what they did. You know, you see the story of the woman caught in the act of adultery. Everybody wanted to stone her, and yet he showed mercy. You see uh, the tax collector. You know, the, the main attitude was like, these are traitors to our people. You basically sell outs. It's one thing for the Romans to do this to us, but you're a sellout Jew that is doing this to your own people. Yet Jesus had compassion and called, you know, a tax collector to be one of his disciples. So he always had kindness and mercy for people, and he didn't have to like, well, let me go away and pray for an hour. Okay, now I'm ready to give it. It was already flowing in his life all the time. So he wants us to be the same way. Because you just never know when something will occur that can push a button or make you want to tell somebody off or treat them meanly or have an attitude. You just never know when the things are going to occur. So really it should be a part of your life that mercy is just evident a part of you and you don't have to work at it. You don't have to try to sum it up for somewhere. It should be a part of who you are. Once again, the same way that the words should stick to you and be a part of you that's inseparable. A mindset of having inward affections for people should just be in there. Amen? So something that is just a part of who you are. You know, I just really like, you know, you got to get to a place where you really just start to love people. You know, just have mercy and love for people. Like, we were at the movies yesterday in the lobby, there's one lady come up, a little boy, and she's like, oh, I'm sorry, I want to button mine. And I just touched her on the shoulder and said, no, nah, what are we going to see? And I just start crying over it. I mean, to me, that's fun. Interacting with people. And you just never know. Somebody might be having a bad day, just a little smile, a little joke, or something like that, just does something to pick their day up a little bit. You know, so that's really something I'm trying to do, just as part of that process of inward mercy, love, and compassion for even total strangers, just to interact with them. Because, like I said, you don't know 
what that person could be going through. And just by you having a kind, merciful attitude all the time, you don't know how you're brightening into that. It might just be five seconds out of your life, a minute out of your life, holding the door, smiling, joking, and just kidding around somebody, and you're just like, whoa, that's just a nice person. It takes that weight off of them that they may have been feeling five minutes before you interacted with them. Amen? Amen. That's the sort of thing that God wants us to do. We see here in my sentence that whatever you do in work, indeed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Giving thanks to, Father, to God and the Father by Him. Just look at that. Whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Is that the mindset we have going around on a daily basis? Are all the things we do, we're doing being done in the name of the Lord Jesus or representative of the character of Jesus? That there alone comes with the demand that we start walking in more love and compassion. Because how can we say we're representing Him if we don't have His character? So if you want to have his mindset and do stuff according to his attitude, it automatically demands that there's a change in your inward workmanship and your character and your, your compassion level. We see here that it, it talks about admonishing one another, song, hymns, spiritual song, singing with grace in your hearts. See, it's just an attitude. Like just going around with an upbeat attitude. Song of the Lord in your head, or scripture rehearsed in your mind, in your heart. A song that just comes on your spirit that you're singing. You ever have just a song that just suddenly comes up and you just start singing? You just even notice today, like, usually I may have like a couple of faster songs, but I did one fast song, then everything else is more like a worship, worshipful song. That's because the Lord put on my heart this weekend. Let's listen to songs. Like, no, God, I want you guys to really be in worship mode and we do communion this week. So that was the route the Lord took me in. And, but the songs were basically on my heart, on and off all week. There's times I've sat at my computer and I listened to them, but then there was other times I'm taking a shower, I'm laying down. It's just like one of the songs will come back to me and I'll just hear it. Amen? So that's the same thing. Sometimes it's going to be a literal song that's out there on the radio or CD, but then it might be times where it's just a song the Lord places on your spirit. Just like a personal thing between Him and you. Amen? Or scripture. But it's a mindset, it's an attitude that just stays with you all the time. It's like your spirit is on autopilot with God to be in sync with Him and have an attitude of praise. Alright, so 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to His abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that fadeth not away reserveth in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Hallelujah. That inheritance that it talks about here. It talks about an, an incorruptible inheritance. Inheritance means heirship. We are heirs to the throne of God. Amen? Heirs. Not servants and grunts. Not thrones or soldiers out in the field. He says you are heirs to the kingdom of righteousness. Who have eternal provisions that are being allotted to us. It also talks about the inheritance or the heirship being incorruptible. It means that it cannot decay. And here's the thing. It cannot decay 
in its in the essence of what it consists of, or in its continuity. So our inheritance in God is incorruptible. It will never decay, and it will the essence of it and what it consists of can never fade. It's continual, it's ongoing, it goes on for eternity, it is immortal. Its character and what it consists of is the same now as it will be eons from now. Time without end. We can't even measure it, but yet it will stay at the same level. We buy devices all the time that depreciate. The inheritance that God has for you is going to be the same now as it will be countless years. Even when God abolishes time, it will be of the same quality and it will consist of the same thing. So that's a great thing. We actually inheritors of it right now. We can't necessarily appreciate it in our, in our mortal bodies, but the fact is, we actually are heirs to the blessings of Jesus now, and we'll really experience the fullness of it later, but it's at the same level now as it will be when we go into glory that Jesus redeems the entire creation. So it's also undefiled. That means it's unsoiled. It's totally pure. And it talks about it not fading away. It's perpetual. It's eternal. So Jesus has done more than to provide us an inheritance or an endowment after death. He's made us heirs to the kingdom of heaven itself right now. Amen? This is not something that you graduate into after this body perishes. We are heirs to it right now. Our mortal minds just probably cannot fully grasp it. We just can't fully grasp it. But it is eternal, and we have it right now. Praise God. Now, His Word also talks about us being delivered from the power of darkness. Our text scripture says that as part of us walking worthy of the Lord, we are delivered from the power of darkness. And we see something related to this in Acts 26, 14 through 18. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me and saying in the Hebrew tongue, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus who thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen, and of those things into which I will appear unto thee. Deliver thee from the people and from the Gentiles, unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes, and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins, and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in men. So we see here that we are delivered, thank God, from the power of darkness. The darkness is not only being controlled and in bondage to it, but as we see here, we are also free from the blindness that's associated with that darkness. So we basically got two forms of, of freedom. Previously, we were blind. We were blind, dead, dying, going to hell. And we just did not have a clue as we went around on a daily basis that that was the status of our lives. So when Jesus came and set us free, one of the first things we were freed of was the blindness of our spiritual condition. The light of the gospel opened up our eyes to see, oh, I am wretched, I need salvation. 
But the other part of it is that when we were uh, under the kingdom of darkness, not only were we blind to the truth, but also we were under the control, slavery, and bondage to the kingdom of darkness. So it controlled us in terms of our actions, our attitudes, and the capabilities of what we would do. So thank God he freed us from both things in terms of releasing us and delivering us from the power of darkness. And that word here, that is key, is that um, he said, Jesus told him, it's hard for you to kick against the pricks. The word pricks means divine impulses. So when he talked to Saul, he said, there's some divine impulses that are coming your way that tells you you need to get your life right and your spiritual condition right. You need to repent of your sin and serve me in spirit and truth. These are the divine influences. The divine influences to tell you that the same church you are persecuting is the one you should be serving if you want to come to the knowledge of the truth. You are fighting against not so much the people you're persecuting, but you're fighting against the divine impulses that are telling you that the very thing you're trying to exterminate is the thing that you should be serving because it will free you and guarantee you eternal life. So that was the things that the pricks that he was fighting up against. And it's the same with us. Prior to salvation, God is trying to reveal himself to people. And even after salvation, sometimes God is trying to tell us, I want you to do this, I need you to do that. And we're fighting up against those divine impulses because we want to do our own bidding. And God's saying, no, you need to listen to me. Here's what I've called you to do. And this is part of the destiny that I have for your life. So there are the divine influences or impulses that are lead us to salvation. But even after salvation, God is still trying to speak to us. And he's sending or giving us divine impulses to guide us into the things that he's called us to do in this time of season. As well as for our overall lives. So once we have accepted Jesus, in other words, we have a responsibility to yield and to obey <coughs> the divine impulses that God is giving us. And also, we have a responsibility that as other people are being summoned by God, we help get them across the line into salvation. Say that again. We help get them across the line into salvation, not serve as a hindrance to them accepting Christ. Amen. So we need to help open up God's eyes for those who are still blinded to receive the truth of the gospel. Romans 13, 12 and 14 says, The night is far, far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envy, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So we see here, each one of us should be wearing a suit of armor. Amen? Amen. But it is the armor, not of the United States armed forces. And you may be in those forces, but even then, if you wear that uniform, there's still an additional uniform that God wants everybody to wear. And that is the armor of life. And you notice here, it says, Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. He's talking to those who believe in it. So just because you're saved 
doesn't mean that you're wearing a armor of light. Because if it's automatically on you all the time and can't come off after you get accepted, why is he giving instruction to cast off the work of darkness and put on the armor of light? So in other words, you could be serving him, but he has some darkness on you. You got to throw that stuff off and then put on the armor of light. So we see here, there's a choice. You could be saved, but you have a choice in whether you're wearing God's armor. And we see here that it tells us to walk honestly as in the day. It warns us that the day of salvation is at hand. And we should not be wasting time. And we need to be deliberate about making a choice that we're going to serve God by casting off everything that's impure in us and choosing to put on his armor so that we represent him. It tells us not to make provision for the flesh. So that shows us that even after salvation, we got a choice. Are we going to choose to put on his armor? Are we going to choose to resist the temptations that come our way? Or are we going to go back and forth? Putting on the uniform or the kingdom of the darkness one day, casting it off, putting on our light. <laughs> you know, which one are we going to do? The choice is yours. God delivered us when he saved us, but we still have a responsibility that we choose on a daily basis that we want to remain free and unencumbered by the power of darkness, its enticements, and the things that it tries to get us to do. We have to choose to put on our spiritual armor and use the spiritual resources that God has provided us to not only fend off those attacks, but also to go to the aid of others who are too weak to fend off those attacks. That is our responsibility before the walk worthy of the Lord. Then the last thing he talks about in our text scripture was being translated into the kingdom of Jesus. Translated. That means you originally in one state or condition, and after salvation and choosing to serve God, you are translated <coughs> into something else. Amen? So it's kind of like you're a chameleon turned into a butterfly. Translated. One minute you're serving in the kingdom of darkness, the next you're transported into the kingdom of righteousness, a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. We see here in 1 Peter, Chapter 2, 7 through 10. It says, Unto you therefore which believe is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood and holy people, uh, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him that hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is a great thing in this passage of scripture. It shows us how we are translated. Amen. One minute you were full of sin. In the condition of, oh, wretched man, who am I? Amen. That is yielded to sin and a, a slave of the kingdom of darkness. And the next, God transported you or translated you into something that now is a precious commodity in his sight. 
And he says, you are chosen generation. That word chosen means you are part of the elite or the select. You are a favorite. Let's make it simple. You are a favorite of God. So you might say, I was unpopular in school. I'm not too popular now. I'm having friends. But if you're a friend of God, he says, you are select and a favorite of mine. The word royal. We're talking about us being a royal priesthood. The word royal means kingly by nature. So you could have been born on the wrong side of the tracks. You may not be doing great financially right now. But God looks at you, and he doesn't see a pauper. He sees somebody that is royalty. Amen? Royalty. Peculiar is another word to hear. It means the act or the thing that is secured by acquisition. You have been purchased at a price. The price of the broken body and shed blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Yeah. He purchased you. And last time I checked, most people don't buy something unless they see it as something of value. So he saw you as something that was of value. And despite the high price, sacrificing his body, going through that torture, despite the high price, not only did God say, I'll send my only begotten precious son to sacrifice himself, that's how priceless I see you. But then Jesus had the choice to say, not, oh God, I ain't doing this. Jesus is like, I'll go to the cross for them. So he saw you as priceless enough as well. That the price, steep price, amen, he who knew no sin became sin for all of us. The sins, think about that. Billions and billions and billions of people in sin. That's a high price to have. And Jesus said, I'll pay. Wow, staggering. We can't even atone for our own lives. He did it for billions and billions of people in one righteous act, in one ultimate sacrifice. He saw the price and he said, I'm willing to pay. So you are peculiar. You are something that was secure. And think about that. You were secured by acquisition. He didn't just buy you and then a week later say, you know what, I'll buy it, I bought it, I'll flip it, and I'm going to sell it again. Or I bought it with the intent to keep it. Somebody said, you know what, I really wanted that, man. I'll give you X dollars for it. Nah, man, I want it. All right, I'll give you, uh, let's sell the price. Nah, man, I'll keep it. All right, this is my last and final offer. Here you go. Ooh, all right, I'll sell it. There was no, high, no price high enough that Jesus, after he purchased you, said, ooh, change my mind, I'm going to sell you back. He bought you, and he's going to keep you. The word here says that you are secured by acquisition. He bought you, and nobody else can buy you now. That's awesome. And it tells us that since we are all these things, <coughs> we should show forth the praises of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. That word show forth, that phrase show forth, means to publish Here's the thing I like. It means to publish and to celebrate him. You shouldn't just be like, oh, Jesus saved me. Oh, what did he do? It says here, we are to not only announce it and publicize it to people and tell people, but it says, this is not some simple thing. Oh, yeah, whatever. It says we should be celebrating. Jesus saved me. It's something to be celebrated. Hallelujah. Yay, yay, yippee, <laughs> Give him the right moment. We need to be celebrating Jesus. This is the greatest party in the universe. We got accepted into the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So that's something we see people celebrate at the Super Bowl, celebrate birthdays. 
you were talking about celebration, and you want to talk about fireworks, man. This is greater than Independence Day. I gotta say it. The biggest celebration of all time. And even the word of God talks about when, when one sinner repents, that heaven itself has a party. They celebrate. Amen. That's how priceless we are. How priceless we are before Jesus. And here's the final scripture. 1 Peter 1, 22-25. Seeing you have purified your souls and obeyed the truth through the Spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren, see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently, being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible, by the word of God, which liveth and abideth forever. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man as the flower of grass. The grass withereth, and the flower thereof falleth away, but the word of the Lord endureth forever. And this is the word which by the gospel is preached unto you. So it says here, we have to purify our soul. Once again, he's talking to the church, to the believers, to the ones that have already graduated from the kingdom of darkness into eternity. You have been translated from a fleshly, animalistic person that satisfies his own desires into somebody that now has the Spirit of God inside of you. You are the temple of the Holy Ghost, and now you are secured eternally. But he still tells you, you have to purify your soul and obey the truth. The truth which comes through the Holy Spirit, amen, in the Word of God. And it talks about here having unfeigned love for the brethren. That word unfeigned means it's like it's not fickle. It's not one day I love you, and then I'm going to be mean to everybody because I'm just having a bad mood. Unfeigned means it's like continual, perpetual. It's a continuous outpouring of love that you have for other people. It talks about having love for each one, for one another with a pure heart. What does it mean by a pure heart in terms of loving one another? It just talks, really talking about us being respectful of a person. Amen? If I respect other persons, okay, I love everybody in the body of Christ. I love everybody in this church. But what if one day, it's like Linda needs something, and Carol needs something, like I love her a little bit more, so, you know, I was, you know, I was praying and love on Linda, but I'll get to Carol. That's not pure love. Amen? That's why you say I love you, but love you all That's an example. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I'm just saying, I'm just joking. But no, that's the thing, but let's, let's be real. It's true. In the body of Christ, I love you all. But then we'll hear one person, oh, so-and-so's going through. Oh, sorry to hear that. But then we hear someone else going through. Oh, I can call them and see if they're okay. Or I can go visit them in the hospital. Oh, shoot. See how much money I got to spare. It could be two people with the same exact problem. But you feel more of a pull to go to the aid and save that one than the other. God's saying, no, your love should be pure. Matter of fact, anything he might say is, is a, as a labor of love and growth for you, you need to go out quicker and more earnestly for the one that you don't like in your flesh. Amen. Just to help you deliver yourself from partiality. Amen? Amen. I mean, we've had that you. There's some people that really try us in terms of their personality traits and stuff, and outside of Jesus, it's just like there's been nothing to connect us. It's just, just being real. There's been people like that over the years. But because of the Spirit of God, we reached the Word, we were at their side, we gave money, we did all kinds of stuff. 
because it wasn't about us and our fleshly feelings. It's like, what would the Word and the Holy Spirit have to do? Go to the aid? Okay. I mean, there's been a lot of times. There's been times where we were hurt by that. And people came, oh, I'm about to get my lights turned off, or I'm about to do this, or whatever. Like, all right, man. We want your dollar. God bless you, thank you. They think like, oh, he's an IT, she's a court reporter. Oh, they ain't even feel that. And we're like, man. All right, well, you see, we just put this much in the tank. This, and okay, we buy this much groceries for now. And, you know, kind of scrape till we get our next paycheck. They realize, like, we bless y'all, but like, now we're like, ooh. About us now, like Lord, uh, we'll be a little tight for the next couple of weeks. I mean, I mean, literally had people say that before. One time, somebody actually said something to me. They're literally like, "Oh, you wouldn't know what it's like, you know, struggles." Like, seriously? <laughs> and a lot of people don't realize, like, even at the time we started this church, I was going to work at Supper Boy. There are times I've been two or three months, and like, and no checks coming. There's times like, it was for the grace of God. Like, people do, really do not realize how rough and tough it was during the time I was working home self-employed. Amen? They do, they had no clue. And we help people find answers. And there's times when, like, I don't like this project today because uh, uh, we're trying to save this house. But people didn't even know. You know? But that's like having that pure heart of love and, and trusting God and being willing, like, and at His disposal, even when you yourself are going through. Yeah, you say, I'm going to go out and meet the need, but we always have full trust that if we go to meet the need, we don't know how, but he's going to keep us in his house. He'll keep three square square bills on the table. And the thing is, he did it, and we even went on vacation. Okay. We went on vacation. So God did it, but it was all about trusting him as opposed to looking at the circumstances in our bank account. God did it. It's because, like I said, we love from a pure heart. There's people that from the natural, our flesh either doesn't click. Sometimes it's not like an attitude thing. It's just like some people like, you like bowling, I like basketball. <laughs> you like fishing, I like art. You, you hate foreign films, we love them. Sometimes people personality, it ain't even about like issues, just different interests. You just don't like. But see, the word of God. And having a pure heart of love fervently, you find an intersection, a place to connect with those people. And you may not go and hang out and eat brownies and hoagies together one night and watch TV. But when there's a need, you still reach out and show them the love of Jesus. Amen. Amen. <coughs> and let you cross uh, cultural lines, racial lines, national lines. I mean, the, the love of God without any limitation goes across all boundaries and enables you to reach out to people. And we see here that he tells us to have a pure heart that should not be born of corruptible things, but it should be based upon the word of God. When you allow your life, your mindset, your perceptions, your attitude to be governed by the word of God, the stuff that's in you will be sustained throughout all the tests of time, through trials and tribulations, through everything that goes on in your life. It continues on. And we see that your flesh will fade. The glory that will be upon your life may fade. Once you die, you may be forgotten in 5, 10, 20 years. But the legacy of what you did, based upon the word of God, will still linger. And that's something that in your life on a daily basis will linger as well. If you're walking out with the word of God, governing your thoughts, your perception, your actions, it leaves a legacy even in your past. Amen.
And I'm not talking about necessarily a death passing, but even in your passing, it leaves something behind. It leaves a residue. So our mortal bodies will age and eventually perish should Jesus not return and rapture us. But the Word of God abiding in us is eternal and capable of ensuring that our eternal spirits are on a path which will purify us and enable us to present, be presented as righteous before God and for this world. Amen. And that is what makes us worthy to walk in the Lord. That He and He alone. We really are not capable in and of ourselves. But we trust in Him, we yield to Him. That's the biggest word right there. If we yield to Him. A lot of times we know what to do. It just comes down to that, that mindset of will I do what I know to do? <coughs> Amen. So if we yield to Him, that's when our walk will be worthy of the Lord. Amen. Let's give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. And uh, like I said, let's um, continue to pray for the people that came up on the list. Um, they had a testimony that Benita is out of the hospital at home. There's still going to be no tests and stuff. She's all, they sent a picture, she's all smiling, basically. She's really, really good. So that was really um, a blessing to hear. And you know, one prayer request came to was already circulating with a group of people, and it came to me. And we're all praying. I sent somebody she worked to with her. As you know, she's like, we're all praying. And he knew. So it's like, we don't know how far this thing traveled praying for this woman, but the joint prayers are having an impact. That's the blessed thing. Amen. I, here's another example. Um, I talked about the guy, Ryan, um, who had unfortunately passed, and they weren't sure. If um, it was uh, some kind of foul play, it turned out that he had not failed in the reason why yet. But he went into this abandoned building on the second floor and collapsed through it into the first. I guess the fall did it. So it wasn't like a robbery or anything like that. Um, they don't know why he was in the building, but that's where then it worked out. But the funny thing is, um, some, the person sent an email yesterday and she was giving everybody an update and she said, oh, and just to turn it out, I'll be my finger slip, and I'll call myself, email on the Beth Fox, and I accidentally got a Brian Fox, and said, turns out Brian Fox is a pastor, and even though he didn't know us, he and his church prayed for Brian's family as well. So the person sent a follow email and thanked me for being involved, even though I had nothing to do with the person that um, she meant to send it to. So it just shows you how God will network his people to pray. Amen. Hallelujah. And it's just that sensitivity, that openness, that we're all family, we're all friends, we're all in this together. Um, save and unsaved, amen. We need to reach out to the unsaved as well. That allows us to be a blessing and to walk worthy of the Lord. Heavenly Father, in the precious name of Jesus, we praise and thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Even in our, our missteps and our unrighteousness and the mistakes and even through the trials and tribulations that we experience, Lord, that Father, you continue to mold and refine us and equip us. We praise the name of Father. No matter what we do, good or bad, uh, you never give up on us. And you continue to pour out your wisdom upon us. Even as we saw with Peter, there's the pricks and the divine influences that you give us to prick our hearts and our minds 
to do the things that you're calling for us to do in our lives to serve you. So we praise you, Father, that we would yield to those divine impulses and we would respond, yay and amen, to the desires you have for us, Father. And we give you glory and honor, Father, that in all things we do, we have a pure heart that love would resonate from us, that people both saved and unsaved would be able to sense the presence of Jesus in us. Even if they don't know about God or believe in Jesus or realize that that's what's coming from us, Lord, let that essence of us be so pure and loving and compassionate that it just ministers to people wherever we go. The Lord should opportunity present itself for us to speak to them about Jesus. Just talk with their hearts. Unstop their ears. Take the block veils and blindness off their eyes that they can receive. Just praise and thank the Father for this. We glory and honor praise, Lord, and continue to pour out your healing upon those that we've been praying for. J.R. and um, Deanne and Ryan's family for salvation should they need it. And um, the need to continue to touch her and do even more of the miraculous work that you've already done. We pray, Father, for those who were suicidal, Lord, that you would. Um, freedom from that spirit of murder and Lord, show them your, your love, let them feel the, the love. Use um, Tony and your, your saints, Eric and others, to, to bless them and minister to them. We pray, Father, for the two gentlemen in the rooms uh, adjacent to Dean. I was praying for that night. Uh, I didn't go over the radio, so just walked to the, the door in the rooms. We were praying right now that even if you would touch her, receive the natural healing, you would do the same in her. And, Throughout the whole floor, just allow your going to flow through an entire hall, that whole floor, and touch people Lord, for salvation and divine healing. And we just praise and thank you, Father, for this. And Lord, ask that you just use us as your vessels of righteousness everywhere we go. Continue to grow and mature us. Continue to let us grow, Lord, in the area of love, Father, that compassion flow out of us. This is a natural aspect of our essence of our being. We thank you, praise God, for this. We give you glory, honor, and praise, our prayers, Father, praise, Father, that if there's anything that we would desire and need from you, Lord, spoken or unspoken, right now, by in power of agreement and spirit of unity, we pray, Father, for each other, that the blessings that we receive will be manifested in according to your will. And we give you glory, and honor, and praise for these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Amen.